Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, my name is Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocket Link Podcast. This week, we've got details on the new Motorola Edge flagship smartphone. Talk to Intel and Accenture about how the two companies, alongside the Syllabar Environmental Foundation, are using AI to monitor coral reefs. And associate editor Dan Grabham joins me to talk about how I've been getting on with the new iPhone SE smartphone, now that I've got one in the office. But first, let's talk Motorola with Mike. So Mike, Moto is back. Tell us more. Well, it never really went away, um, just in different guises. So... um... Not too long ago, we had the Moto Razor, which was the kind of reimagination of the flip phone um, about 15 years after the original. Um, but the one thing that Motorola has lacked for a good number of years now, probably, well, it's kind of arguable, maybe since 2013 when it brought out the X, um, is a proper flagship phone. And um, now they, they've come back with a brand new thing called the Edge um, and the Edge Plus, which is the more significant one. Um and it's very much, hey, look at me, I'm the big flagship phone with all the, the fancy features. And it's kind of trying to make a mark for the for the brand again, really. And so what's the main standout feature? Because there's lots of phones currently out there that are all trying to say that they're flagship. And it has become a little bit of sameness at the moment. So what, what's Motorola doing to say, hey, we are actually different? Um. It's a good question. Whether there's anything dramatically different within this is kind of questionable. It's got lots of big features, though. So the primary one is the camera. Um, It's got 108 megapixels. Another big one is it's got a a curved screen, so like the edges almost fold around the sides, really, and you don't get any side bezel, um, hence the name The Edge. Um, Both of which, say, a year ago would have been like, oh, my God, that's amazing, and it still does look really impressive. Um, but we've seen those things before. So is this Motorola arriving a little bit late? Um, it's possible, and it's certainly not a cheap device either. And so why now? What's Because Motorola, if you look at them over the last five years, have been famous around the world, certainly in uh, sort of outside of the UK and US, for their G range. And, you know, they've done incredibly well in places like Brazil and stuff like that. So what's suddenly changed to make them think, first with the Razer and now with the Edge, that they can take on the flagship mantle? I think they've just been biding their time, making sure they get things done correctly. Um, You know, it's been a a slow journey to return to actually making money for this company um, following getting taken over by Lenovo. It's kind of put them back in a a better stead than than where they were because many years ago they were the phone brand, almost like the only phone brand you would go to. Mm. So it's taken a long time. Um, I think they've started establishing themselves again through the much lower end stuff, actually. You know, the G series is still really fantastic for the money that it is. Um, I think they've been growing the brand, wanting to build themselves back up to a point where people go, okay, Motorola, yeah, that's that's something that I would spend, you know, bigger bucks on, because ultimately this is entering that space where it's really trying to compete with 
Pixel, with, with iPhone, with all the big players um, by delivering everything that it can. And do you think they're trying to capitalize on the void that's been perhaps left by Huawei and, and the struggles that they've been having? I don't know if it's intentional. Um, I think that's just a, a product of how things are at the moment. I think more so there's other companies like Oppo that are kind of trying to fill that gap more rapidly. Um, this, I just think, is it's it's been kind of slow to get here. Um, and I haven't actually seen the phone in person yet, so I'm kind of curious to see what it'll feel like and how different it will be. Um, but, it, you know, it's it's an interesting prospect. It's got a bunch of, like I say, high-end features on it. Um, and there are some little bits that, that really do stand out when you think about 5G, say. It supports um, millimeter wave and sub-6G, which barely anything else does. Um, so in terms of connectivity speeds, you should there's probably nothing else out there that would go faster than this if you're in the right part of the world on the right networks and so on. So, you know, they're establishing themselves saying, hey, we're, we're, we're the first to do this, that and other. Now, we've seen from some phone companies that they're keen to launch and then we don't see them for a long time. <laughs> when, do we, when, do we, uh, when do we expect to see this in people's mitts? I think it's going to be a staged output um, piece by piece. I don't think in the UK we'll see it immediately. Um, I would expect it will arrive first in the States in May. Um, and then I would think it will probably channel into like the Nordics and places like that. Um, in a kind of phased rollout. So it may be a little while before Europe um, sees it, you know, in full. Um, We'll have to wait and see. There's no official confirmation on that as yet. Still to come, I talk to Dan about how I've been getting on with the new Apple iPhone SE. It means that you can use Apple Arcade. It means you should be able to do a lot of AR stuff when Apple keep on pushing this, whether you want to or not. You know, there are things going on there. It, It pretty much coped with anything that I could do on it. Sustainability comes in many different guises, whether it's reducing your own carbon footprint by switching from petrol to electric cars or planting a tree, there are plenty of ways to get involved. Intel, together with Accenture and the Syllabi Environmental Foundation, are focusing on the impact climate change has on coral reefs around the world. The partnership focuses on using artificial intelligence to monitor, characterize and analyze coral reef resilience. But how do you do that? What are the processes involved and how can a company that makes processes make a difference underwater? I spoke to Patrick Dorsey from Intel and Jason Mitchell at Accenture to talk about the collaboration, technology and how AI is being used in the project. Jason, could you can you tell us a little bit more about the project? Sure. Um we're really excited about the, the project that we've been working together with Intel and members of our ecosystem to help regrow and restore the coral there in the Philippines. Um, the, the project started kind of with helping um, sink some structures into the reef there around the, uh, the island and adding to it new coral, and then adding a monitoring system, low-touch monitoring system that allowed us to record and capture the return of fish and and monitor that as they came back into this ecosystem and and measure the success of of whether this is regrowing the coral or not. So obviously, you know, very sensitive ecology there. And so having a low-touch solution in that space helps both with... uh, allowing the fish to start returning and keeps uh, the amount of uh, 
potential damage to the the coral structures there at a minimum as you know divers are not needed to be reintroduced into the the environment to con- continuously monitor um, the, the regrowth of that ecology. And and on that, how would they have done it beforehand? Typically beforehand, and, and I'm by no means a, a diving expert, but my understanding is beforehand, they would typically send divers down to be able to go through and actually, you know, monitor and video record um, the return of life in that, that um, ecosystem there. And so obviously it's very, very intrusive. You have humans entering the space, you have video, you know, the natural behavior of the fish is not really truly being uh, captured because you've got um, an, an alien species that's entered into that ecology. Sure. And so this, you know, this allows that those divers to go down on occasions to move cameras, but, you know, obviously not their day to day and still capture the, the data. And, and Patrick, what's, how does Intel fit into this? Yeah. So um, we have a long, obvious partnership with Accenture in bringing uh, solutions to, to market and uh, what was really uh, cool and fun and interesting about this project was was bringing together kind of the uh, software application expertise of, of Accenture with Intel in our overall development and hardware platform. So what we brought in was a was a combination of a core um, processing uh, capability as well as some unique acceleration capability that sits beside the processor and speeds up the processing of this data of the coral reef, such that you can interpret and use the data uh, as close to real time as possible. And this, it, it allows the researchers, it allows the community, uh, it allows all of us to, to act more quickly and to interpret a much larger volume of data than you could if you tried to do it without this artificial intelligence or this automation capability. So it's the bringing together of the two capabilities, Accenture and Intel, that really made a difference here. And do we think, I'm not sure who's the best one to answer this, but do you think this is something that opens up more uh, capabilities for, for other things? At the moment, you're using it to effectively, from what I can gather, do sort of face recognition for fish <laughs> to, yeah. to sort of see where they're moving around. What, what sort of elements does that allow you to do more beyond marine life? Yeah, yeah. So I'll just you know um, the 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 applications for artificial intelligence are uh, are really somewhat limitless. Um, yeah, we we see uh, the basic capabilities here uh, really being apl- applicable to, to many things worldwide, and and a lot of those are around social good and and how do you how do you do things better for people? How do you improve people's lives? Um, things like uh, uh, global uh, warming and, and watching for trends in the climate and what's happening. Uh, things like looking uh, in, in Africa for, for poachers of uh, wild animals out on, out on the uh, Serengeti and, and beyond in um, allowing people to, to know what's happening with the migration of animals there and, and maybe some people that aren't, aren't trying to do the best thing for those animals many, many applications that just allow us to be in places and to interpret data, large volumes of data very quickly and, and to act to, to, to help the environment and to help people worldwide. So lots of applications, lots of use for this artificial intelligence uh, capability. We've been working together with Intel on this 
analytics and artificial intelligence space for the, the course of the last five, six years, um, and together invested pretty significantly into the underlying platform that that operates behind the scenes in, in, in uh, this Corel um, project. It's our, our video analytics platform that here at Accenture, and we've optimized that with the help of Intel on top of their, um, you know, back in Xeon processors for the, the analytics effort, as well as uh, you know, the Mobidius cameras and, and um, the FPGAs that allow the uh, real-time processing at the edge. And so as as, as highlighted there, um, we, we believe that there's a many other places where this can be applied. Specific to this underwater type of application, you know, this could be something that when rolled out at a larger scale could look at, um, you know, migration rates of fish that, uh, depending upon um, temperature, et cetera. It could uh, look at a larger section of, of ocean or reef. I know that they're starting to think about this in, in some other places around the world. Um, it can help with monitoring of things in tight places where you know divers just can't get to. Um, but then on, on land, we've worked with them on a number of different um uh, applications for this technology, looking at things like worker safety, looking at things like um, uh, at a city level, we've done some uh, pilot programs with with uh, some city slash national governments uh, leveraging this technology as well. So the, as mentioned, uh, the, the technology really is, is quite diverse and allows for a number of places where you want to apply um, intelligence to video and to allow um, the machine to augment the human effort in this space, and, and you know take some of those rudimentary tasks um, that uh, a machine can do, and and augment and, and better the lives of the humans, and, and allow them to do the high, the higher end, you know, analytics and and interpretation of the data. And, and with so many, as, as Patrick was saying, with so many options available to you in, in so many fields and, and uses of, of AI, what made you decide to focus on on coral reefs to begin with? Was that an important thing? Was that a, a, something that you saw that you, the technology was better suited to? Or was it just that you, you guys really like fish? Good question. Um, I, don't, I don't believe it was uh, necessarily a a personal love of fish. I, I believe you know it was one of those things where there's good timing on the the opportunity where this this came across our desk and seemed like a great application for the technology. It allowed us to to do something very good for the environment. And as you look at uh, coral reefs, there's a significant amount of benefit that they provide the world in general, and, and the um, degradation of that environment is something that will have you know massive ramifications on on in our world as we exist. So it certainly um, checks the box as far as being a, a noble and, and good thing to do. Um, but it also, from just a pure technology perspective, gave us an interesting use case to go test this technology in some you know fairly extreme in, environments. You know, it, it, this is leveraging a wide array, uh, array excuse me, of, of technologies to be able to make this solution. You know, you have 4G communication coming back and taking the data out of a remote edge uh, location. You have analytics being done by the camera and making decisions of the camera. You have near edge or, you know, at the edge analytics being done in FPGA and then going back to a central, you know, edge to cloud and, and 
analytics being done at the cloud that can make broader decisions as well. So technically it was a very interesting project as well. And, and you know, you obviously had the benefits as mentioned earlier of helping one of these uh, fragile ecologies that um, provide food for, you know, a seventh of the world's population. And, and what do you think has been the, the hardest challenge? I, I don't mind which who, who answers this, but, you know, the hardest challenge that you've had to overcome within this project and, and how did you overcome it? So I'll go ahead and go first. Um, I, I think that the, the challenge that we had was just the environment itself. Um, the, you know, obviously making this all waterproof, et cetera, and, and being able to capture the data um, in ways that we had never done before, you know, with, uh, you know, active cameras, et cetera. Um, I, I really um, was not personally involved in the diving and, and things like that, but I did not get a bunch of uh, problems that came across my desk on this. And so um, the only thing that I could highlight is the is that's just the challenge of doing this all underwater versus doing it, you know, in a factory or something along that line. Yeah, it, it went it went fairly smoothly, very very smoothly from a technology view. Um, if you look at the capability, you've got an artificial engine uh, compute capability that's actually in the camera that sits underwater. It's a, a, a technology we call Movidius um, VPU capability um, that allows you to do the AI right at the camera level, and then you've got accelerated compute kind of onshore that connects wirelessly using uh, 4G technology back and forth. And, you know, all that stuff worked uh, pretty seamlessly. So, um, you know, as Jason said, it's, it's more about the, the, the physical environment of, of building that barrier underwater, supporting the reef and getting the equipment in, in place. Um, it's just th- those phys- physical constraints is really the biggest challenge. And, and the final question I have really is, is what's next? Well, I was going to say one, one, one of the things that we're looking at going forward is just better cameras, um, better being more cameras so that we can, we can look at more capability and, and more of what's happening across the reefs over a longer, bigger area and, and, and more, uh, more sampling of what's happening. The other is, is a better camera in terms of infrared and, and capabilities so that you can see the weight, the depth of the fish, the depth of the of coral reef itself, how it's growing, how it's not growing. So a lot of uh, a lot of interesting stuff happening there, and then and then AI in general uh, just continues to evolve in terms of its capability, its precision, accuracy, and the ability is to get give us better and better information. Yeah, I I believe that um, we're looking at some improvements, shall we say, to the the processing uh, system inside the the solution as a as a next step as well. So you know, constantly uh, one of the benefits of this solution it's built on. Um, Technologies with a, an excellent roadmap that Intel's provided us, and so there will be, you know, future uh, FPGAs that will help us with uh, ongoing increase in the amount of processing we can do, speed of processing, as well as, um, you know, deeper insights uh, as we move forward. We'll, and we'll continue to uh, monitor the the growth of the coral and the return of the fish into this environment. And you know, look at potential other applications for this in the future um, beyond just the, the Philippines there. So now we come to the point of the show where I normally sit down with one of the team from Pocket Lint and talk about a product they're reviewing. But this week's slightly different because I've been the one that's been doing the reviewing 
itself. And in that case, it's the iPhone SE. So I've asked Dan to join us as he's another Apple aficionado on the team to question me for a change and spin it over. So Dan, I'm going to hand it over to you. Cool. So Stu, I mean, how did you find using the iPhone SE compared to say the 11? I think it's it's one of those things. It's it's obviously harking back to the memory because the form factor is identical to the iPhone 8. And I reviewed and used the iPhone 8 for a while in 2017, so three years ago, and then obviously moved on to the iPhone 10 uh, when that came out, and then the 10s, and then the 11. So going back to a Touch ID device and a smaller device was obviously slightly uh, precarious for me. I suppose that's probably a word you could use. Mm. But I think this is not really designed for people that have, been, have already gone to Face ID. This is designed for people that are have been using the 6, the 6S, the 7, 7S, and obviously the 8. And in terms of the camera as well, because I, I was quite interested um, uh, how the, the sort of camera was, because obviously it's basically the iPhone 11 camera. Uh, how how did you find using it compared to compared to um, the Pro and the 10R? Because um, some of the images I saw weren't um, didn't look didn't look that great. But you know it was just anecdotal evidence. So I haven't actually used it myself. Whereas obviously you have. Yeah, so what I found is I've, I've moved into it last week. I've been using it for about a week now. Um, it, it's one of those things where it's very reminiscent of the cap- capabilities of the iPhone 8. So it's exactly the same sensor as the iPhone 8. So you get a wide angle, 12 megapixel on the back. Uh, I think it's a 1.4 uh, aperture. So as long as you've got good daylight, it's brilliant. Uh, and it takes nice pictures. They've got nice crispness to them, colorful or what have you. They've taken the iPhone 8 sensor and not just done, left it with that, but then they've added a lot of the the capabilities of the iPhone 11 through software because it uses the A13 Bionic processor, which is the same processor in the, in the latest range, the 11, 11 Pro, 11 Pro Max. What that means is you only get a single lens, a single camera, but you do get all the portrait modes um, for like high key, um, high-key mono and, and you know, lighting, studio for lighting effects and things like that. So you can achieve some uh, some sort of depth field to it. Obviously, it uses AI. I found with my wispy hair, because I've had a haircut for quite a while now, uh, it was struggling at the edges. And if you took people wearing sunglasses, whatever, sometimes they've got very thin frames, it, it starts to, to issue there. On the whole, it's, it's fine. But even with the 11, 11 Pro, you still get those same issues. So there's no extra benefits there or not one interesting thing is a bit like the 10r you can only portrait mode only works with people um so you can't suddenly take a picture of your dog in portrait mode and go wow isn't that amazing or like other stuff you find around the world um but ultimately it's good i think the big key missing value here though uh is it doesn't have the 11s night mode um so once it starts getting low light you start getting picture quality as you did in everything prior to the 11 which normally means that unless if the people are moving around then it ends up in blurry blurry yeah. photos yeah i mean i use the the 10s max and um i get a lot of those issues because you know i've used various other phones from huawei and um and samsung and others that are obviously a lot better at taking night photos just like the the 11 pro is um and it is it's quite marked going back to a device like that isn't it yeah and you don't i mean i would say Obviously, I've been using the 11 for since September, uh, the 11 Pro, sorry, since September. And, you know, night mode is a game changer on that thing. You just don't really think about it. You take a picture regardless of the light. 
and then and then you know you've got good results going backwards to the eight uh, not the eight sorry to the se um you do find that just the dark you know if it's low light conditions it's blurry now that's not so bad at the moment because we're in you know walking into summer that should be fine but come winter those if you if you're back in the pubs you know back out you know in dark environments those pictures are going to be the same that you've been used to if you're upgrading as i said from another 4.7 inch device upwards um but it, it is something which I wish they had tried to address at some point. We're talking here, comparing it to obviously much more expensive iPhones and, and other handsets as well. Um, but actually, this is a this is an iPhone for the masses, isn't it? This is a this is a phone for people um, upgrading from an iPhone six or um, coming from a, a handset that actually is 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 a lot worse. In a, you know, it, so it, the, the difference the difference is actually quite a step up. Oh yeah, and I mean that's the thing we've got to we should caveat at any point when we talk about this. You know, we're talking about night mode functionality, we're talking about camera capabilities, all the other stuff on a device that is, you know, I think the 11's what eight hundred pounds at the moment, something along those lines. You know, the the Pro is like a thousand pounds, and the SE is four hundred quid. In fact, so it's four hundred nineteen pounds in the UK. It's three hundred ninety nine dollars in the US, and so for you know bang for buck. You know, you are getting the camera is fantastic at four hundred pounds or thereabouts, and you know the some of the the functionalities, the speed it just zips along because it's got you know great processor in it. You know, there's it means that you can use Apple Arcade. It means you should be able to do a lot of AR stuff when Apple keep on pushing this, whether you want to or not. You know, there are things going on there. It, it pretty much coped with anything that I could do on it. Um, you know, from editing pictures to, you know, playing games to, you know, those kind of things. So I think it's, you know, from that respect, by this phone, you get tapped into all the Apple services, which is probably the main goal here. And I suspect if you're in that phone, you won't then have to upgrade it for, I reckon, a good three or four years, because it will probably do what you want it to do. And then some, certainly for the people that this is aimed at, these people, you know, it's not, they're not pro users. These are guys and girls that are, you know, get their email, chat to their friends on WhatsApp, you know, take pictures of the kids. And if they're lucky, if they're really excited, we'll play a game. But otherwise, that's, you know, that's what you do on the phones, isn't it, most of the time? And this addresses those, that audience perfectly. Yeah, definitely. And the screen size is a, is a key aspect to that as well, isn't it? Because many people don't want a big phone um you know there are a lot there's a lot of choice of big phones out there now but if you want a smaller size you've actually got to go further down the range and obviously this is further down the range but it's actually you know a very capable device as well yeah and i think that's the case you know one of the main big concerns and, and complaints i had about the iphone uh 10r was that it, it kind of serviced a market in that it was a cheaper version of what was, you know, the 10s at the time. And that was brilliant. But the thing was massive. Yeah. And unless you had a, a big handbag or even a bag to put it in, it just, it wasn't something you could put in your pocket unless you kind of had cargo pants on or something, you know? So mm. I think from that respect, this is, you know, I've always, I've always been one of those users that's trended towards a smaller phone anyway. I've always, when the six, six seven and eight ranges came out i was always a, a the the not I, w- I didn't use the plus the plus has just always been too big for me <laughs> and you know even given a chance now where you know i could use a pro i could use 11 a pro or a pro max i've always you know 
personal preference, I'd always opt for the the, the pro, that you know, the smaller size. Um, it's a shame that you know Apple have again. It's all about cost, and it's about understanding you know, hitting that four hundred ish pound you know marker. It's a shame that they didn't utilize the you know the Face ID technology, the the notch screen to make more screen for a smaller device. That would have been lovely, uh, but then I suspect by doing that, it would have pushed the price you know considerably up. It's just a lot of people out there just you know and just want a, a smaller phone. In fact, it's you know it was very appealing to go back to something smaller which you could use you know without having to i think the plus signs and not to go on about this you know the plus size and the max pro you know max sizes you, it feels like you have to sit down and use it with two hands to to do something well i was going to say i've ma- I've, I've mastered doing it one-handed now with the max because i'm i'm max all the way really yeah and i just can't i'm i'm one of those people i just i i want to use my phone on the go that fits in with my life rather than having to sit there very consciously thinking, right, I'm about to do something. Let me get this massive thing out of my phone, mm. uh, get my pocket and start using it. Also, you know, trying to fit a max in, in, in your pocket or a plus in your pocket for me is I've always struggled to understand how that that's even comfortable for most people. Yeah. The, the, the plus especially was, you know, ridiculous really. We, I mean, I've got an eight plus hit right here and you know, it, it does look huge even compared to the max really. Um, but just because of the bezels, so does this make a lot more sense in terms of Apple's range of iPhones, do you think? Yeah, I think it's a lot more logical. Um, if what you found and, and is that I know a lot of parents and when it comes to buying that first iPhone for them, it's trying to understand where that fits in. And you kind of, the moment I think they were, most parents were sort of settling for somewhere around a six or a seven, but buying them secondhand or, you know, kind of trying to weird markets or hand-me-downs and things like this. And then you suddenly run into the scenario where you can't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily run the latest uh, iOS and that, you, you know, you'll soon, that'll soon age quite quickly. This way, I think if you were thinking about getting, you know, your teenager, teenager in your life, a phone, an iPhone, because you want to be part of that same ecosystem, 400 pounds, you know, 300, you know, 400 dollars, whatever, you can go in and, and just say, right, this is this is your phone. And you can buy a new phone when you're old enough. But ultimately, this is this will work. And you know that it's going to keep up to date and all the other stuff. And I think that along with this huge swathe of middle people that want a phone to WhatsApp and, and chat and all those kind of things, but don't necessarily need all the pro functionalities and all the latest, you know, hoo-hahs about what we can do and what we can't do, this phone fits perfectly for them. And so I suspect across the year, a bit like the 10R was incredibly successful for Apple when it launched, I suspect this will be the runaway success for them. And you'll be surprised to see how many of these you do see when you eventually come out of lockdown. Well, that's it for this week's show. And don't forget, if you want us to plant a tree on your behalf, all you have to do is tell us the MAC address of a Honeywell smart thermostat that is active in your office or home. Remember, the thermostat can already be installed and being used, or you can go out and buy a completely new one and then just let us know about it. But it must be active and you must tell us before the end of this month. You can find a form on PocketLint via a link on our homepage. Until next time, pip pip. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. 
Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.